0: The message of that song is focusing on a key piece of what we call the gospel message, a key piece of the truth that we're trying to talk about here week in and week out at Renaissance, and that's the fact that no matter who we are, no matter what we've done, no matter what has been done to us, we have a God who loves us, a God who sacrificed himself for us to Pick up the broken pieces to put them back together again to remake us essentially into the people who He created us to be a God who loves us, a God who shows us grace, and a God in whom we can find comfort when we're in the middle of all the junk that's going on in our lives. You know, and all of us, 100% of us here this morning, are either now or yesterday or tomorrow. Dealing with hurt in our lives, whether it's physical hurt, maybe someone uh, someone has physically hurt you. Maybe it's an illness. Maybe it's an accident that you were involved in. There's physical pain. There's physical hurt. You know that that we all deal with. Uh, for others of us, it's emotional. You know, uh, we trusted somebody and they betrayed us, like the girl in the song. We gave our heart to someone. And they just crushed it. Somebody took advantage of us emotionally. Somebody we loved, whether it's a spouse or a parent or or a sibling, they let us down. Maybe somebody we thought was our friend lied about us. They spread false rumors about us. They intentionally hurt us with their words. Whether the, whether the hurt is physical or it's emotional or it's verbal, whatever the nature of that hurt, of that wrong, it's still painful and it still takes time to recover from it. And I'm sure there are folks here this morning who are still dealing with pain that is months or years or even, even decades old. It's a, it's a universal experience that we have because we're living in this broken world. And this world is not the way it ought to be. We should not be having to go through that pain, again, whether it's physical or emotional. We should not have to take the abuse that people dish out uh, and, and receive that pain and have to live with it. But it's a fact. It's a fact of life. It's one that we don't want to live with, uh, but it's one that's here. And we respond in different ways. People respond in different ways to, to being hurt. Sometimes we respond with grief. Sometimes we, revol- we respond with self-pity. We, we take that pain and that, that wrong and we internalize it. Uh, we're, we're overwhelmed and so we withdraw. We put up these barriers. We put up these walls and we effectively say, I am not going to be hurt again. I am not going to get close to somebody again because it's too painful when they hurt me, so I'm never going to entrust myself to somebody again. Been there, done that, didn't work, no way. Or we, or we try to numb the pain. We, we seek relief in, in substances, whether alcohol or, or drugs or, or food, you know, or maybe in activities. And we try to numb the pain or at least block it out, forget about it for a while. Other times we respond in anger. We lash out at the person or the thing that hurt us. We look for ways to get back at them. We become bitter and we vow, I am never, I am never going to forgive that person. I am never going to release them from that debt that they owe me. They hurt me. I'm feeling that pain. And as long as I have to feel that pain, so do you. And I'm going I'm to make sure that you feel that pain. The problem is that if we're not careful, that pain, that hurt can steal our identity. I can, I can begin to see myself as a victim, and that's my identity. I am one who has been hurt, and that's my identity. I'm the broken girl. I'm damaged goods. And so I am worth less than I used to be worth. Or I can become an addict, whether it's substances or, or self-destructive behavior. My identity is one who is addicted to whatever it may be, and the root of that was the hurt and the pain that, that brought me there. Or my identity can be taken over by anger and resentment and bitterness. The man and the, uh, the dad in the, in the movie, in the video that we just saw, that's what his identity had become. His father had hurt him. And his response to that, the resentment that he felt against his father, really took over who he was. And he began to hurt one whom he loved, his son. And his son's response is, I'm not going to be like my dad. But the problem is, without, without really a work of, of God's grace in, in the little boy's life, He's going to turn out to be just like his dad or or something similar, and he's going to treat his kids the same way, and they're going to treat their kids, and it gets passed on and on and on. So if we're not careful, if we're not careful, that pain and that hurt and that, that sense of being wronged can really steal our identity and take over who we are, but it doesn't have to be that way. You don't have to be that broken girl. You don't have to stay that broken boy. We have a God who can change things. We have a God who comforts us, who comforts the hurting, who fixes the broken, who loves the unloved, who brings hope to those who otherwise would have no hope. I love what what the Apostle Paul says at the beginning of uh, his second letter to the church in Corinth. He says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. We have a God who looks at us, who sees our brokenness, who sees our hurt, who has compassion on us, and who says, I'm reaching out to you. I want to comfort you. I want to bring you hope. I want to restore you. I want to heal you. I want to help you to flourish. I want to help you to be the kind of person that I created you to be. And as you experience my comfort, you can comfort those around you. You can bring my comfort and my hope and my peace to people around you rather than bringing resentment and bitterness and pain and wrong. If you've ever lost a loved one or you know someone who has lost a loved one, over and over and over again, the advice that people give is don't withdraw inside yourself. Don't focus just on yourself. Get out and help somebody else. Get out and comfort somebody else. And if we've experienced that comfort, if we've experienced that hope, if we've experienced that healing, then let's share that with those around us. We can comfort others with the comfort with which we ourselves have been comforted by God. A few weeks ago, uh, we talked about how those of us who are trusting in Jesus, who who realize that he died on the cross and rose again for us, who are followers of Christ, we're children of God. God looks at us and says, you're my child. I love you. No matter what you've done, no matter what's been done to you, no matter what's been said about you, I still love you. You're my child. And nothing, nothing can separate you from that love. Nothing can separate me from the love that God has for me, in in Jesus Christ. And, and closely related to that fact, taking it just one step further, is the fact that not only am I a child of God, I am an adopted child of God. God has adopted me as his child. And, and the distinction there is God chose me. He chose me to be his child. He looked down, he saw my brokenness, he saw my pain. He saw my sorrow, but he also saw all the junk in my life. He saw the failings that I have. He saw my sin. He saw my shortcomings. He saw that I wasn't living the way that he wanted me to live. And yet he chose me. He said, I want you to be my child. I want to have a father-son relationship with you. I want you to be part of my family. I want to adopt you. The apostle Paul says, The Spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. We can look at God and say Abba, which is an Aramaic word that probably most of us would translate something like dad, or Pops someone after the second service was saying that 's what you know that 's how I refer to my father it 's a term of endearment it 's a term that a child, but maybe even an adult child would still have for their father so it 's not childish but it's childlike. it 's childlike It reveals a trust it reveals a caring it reveals a recognition that this is one whom I can go to for comfort, for healing. For peace, when I can go to him, when I have my hurt and I can say, Abba, Father, you've adopted me. And that's the kind of relationship that I have with you. God looked at us. He saw all our hurt, all our brokenness, all the junk in our lives. And he, he loved us enough to send Jesus to die for us. He loved us enough to give us the opportunity to be adopted by him. He wants to, He wants to have that relationship. He wants to comfort us. He wants to heal us. I don't have to stay that broken girl because I have a God who loves me, a God who has chosen to adopt me as his child and bring me comfort and bring me peace and bring me healing. The problem is it's a lot easier said than done. Even when we look to God for comfort, And even when we know that we have been adopted as his children, and even when we know that there's nothing that we can do and nothing that can be done to us that will ever separate us from his love, it isn't always easy to let go of the pain. It isn't always easy to let go of the anger. It isn't always easy to let go of the resentment that we feel uh, towards those who have hurt us. But the problem is if we harbor that anger long enough, It can turn into resentment. If we harbor that resentment long enough, it can turn into bitterness, and that bitterness can steal our identity. Somebody once said, bitterness is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. And we are all stupid enough to drink that poison. Me and everybody here—we have all, at times, drunk that poison, thinking that if I can get back at that person, whether actually or only in my mind, that it'll make me feel better. So a friend of mine says, "How's that working out for you?" You know, it doesn't—it doesn't work. And, and there, there are those of us who. We may be harboring bitterness against somebody who is thousands of miles away who has absolutely no clue that we are sending those negative vibes their way and it is having absolutely no effect on them. Or maybe they died years ago and we are still angry and resentful and bitter against them and it is, it's not hurting them at all and it's doing us absolutely no good, yet we can't seem to let go of it. When I choose to remain bitter, I am choosing to let the other person continue to hurt me because it ain't hurting them. It's only hurting me. And the best antidote, really, maybe we could even say the only antidote to, to bitterness is forgiveness. I need to forgive the person who hurt me forgiveness means accepting the consequences for the other person's actions. so you lend me a thousand dollars and i don't pay it back and you forgive me that debt you are out the thousand dollars your bank account is a thousand dollars less than it would have been if i had paid you back that money and it is never going to come back you are bearing the consequences for my actions you are bearing the consequences for my sin and the same is true when we forgive somebody for not a monetary debt, but maybe for an emotional debt. I'm choosing, if I forgive someone, I am choosing to bear the consequences for what they did. And that's not easy to do. In fact, it can be nigh unto impossible for us to do. We talk about, we talk about this idea of forgiving and forgetting. Come on, we can't forget. Okay, maybe if it's, if it's a small sort of a thing, you know, somebody... I don't know, you're walking along and they bump into you by mistake. You can forgive and forget and move on from that. But realistically speaking, if you've entrusted your heart to somebody and they've crushed it, you're never going to forget that. And you may have physical wounds that will never heal or you're bearing the scars of those for the rest of your life. Can you actually forget that? No. And what's interesting is we talk about how God forgives and forgets, but the Bible never says that. The Bible never says that God forgets. The Bible says that God chooses to remember no more. And there's a there's a difference there. Forgetting means it's not in my mind. Choosing to remember no more means, yes, yeah, somewhere it's there in the back of my mind. I can't I can't forget that there's this physical scar that I have, but I'm choosing to remember it no more. I'm choosing not to bring it up again. I'm choosing not to let it come between me and you. And that's what God has done for us. He said I have forgiven your sins. I'm not remembering them anymore. I'm not bringing them up again. They're not going to come between us. They're not going to cause a problem in our relationship. But from a human perspective, that's most of the time, it's not just difficult. It's impossible. How can we forgive especially those great hurts? How can we not allow that to come between us and the other person? And the key the key to doing that is to embrace the fact that I am forgiven by God. God has forgiven me. If I can appreciate the forgiveness that I have because of Jesus' death and his resurrection then I can begin to forgive others as well. I have to understand, not just in a theoretical sense, not just in a theological sense, not just because I learned it in church or in Sunday school or I read it in a book somewhere, but because I'm internalizing it, because it actually means something to me, that when Jesus died on the cross, he died because of what I had done. He was hurt because I caused him hurt. My offense against him caused his death. And yet he's chosen to forgive me. He has chosen to bear the consequences for my actions. He's chosen to take my debt upon himself. And he's chosen to remember it no more and not bring it up again and not allow it to come between me and him. And if I really understand that, not just here in my head, but in my heart, if I really appreciate it, if it, if it really filters down into my life, then I can begin to really forgive other people. It doesn't make it easy, but it does make it easier. It makes what's otherwise impossible, it makes it possible. Not because of who I am, not because of what I've done, but because of who God is and because of what he's done in my life and his love for me can flow through me to those around me. There was a woman who passed away I don't know, about 10 years or so ago. Her name was Corey Tenboom. Some of you may have heard of her. She, she's written a number of different books. One, one is called uh, The Hiding Place. And uh, she and her family lived in Holland during World War II. And when the war broke out, there were Jewish refugees from some of the surrounding countries that ended up in Holland. And as the Nazis came to look for them, one day uh, one of them knocked on her door and asked for a refuge. And so they hid, they hid her. And over the years, I, I don't know if they hid countless Jews in their house over uh, several years during World War II. And one day uh, one of their neighbors betrayed them and told the Nazis what was going on. The Nazis came and arrested the family and uh, Corey's father and her sister Betsy died in the uh, concentration camps. And after the war ended, uh, Corey, who had spent uh, about a year or so in a concentration camp at, at Ravensbrook, w- uh, she was a- invited to speak about her experiences, what it was like to uh, be hiding those Jews for, for so many years. And Uh, What motivated her and her family to do that and what it was like to live in the concentration camp, to see her father, to see her sister uh, die. And so she was invited to speak about this on, on a number of occasions. And I want to read to you an account of what happened during one of her speaking engagements when she had just finished a talk on forgiveness. It was in a church in Munich where I was speaking in 1947 that I saw him, a balding, heavyset man in a gray overcoat a brown felt hat clutched between his hands. One moment I saw the overcoat and the brown hat, the next a blue uniform and a visored cap with its skull and crossbones. Memories of the concentration camp came back with a rush, the huge room with its harsh overhead lights, the, path- the pathetic pile of dresses and shoes in the center of the floor, the shame of walking naked past this man. I could see my sister's frail form ahead of me, ribs sharp, beneath the parchment of her skin. Betsy and I had been arrested for concealing Jews in our home during the Nazi occupation of Holland. This man had been a guard at Ravensbrück concentration camp where we were sent. It was the first time since my release that I had seen him, and my blood seemed to freeze. Now he was in front of me, hand thrust out. A fine message, Fraulein. How good it is to know that, as you say... All our sins are at the bottom of the sea. And I who had spoken so glibly of forgiveness fumbled in my handbag rather than take that hand. You mentioned Ravensbrook in your talk. I was a guard there, but since that time I've become a Christian. I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things I did there, but I'd like to hear it from your lips as well. Fraulein, Will you forgive me? And I stood there. I, whose sins had to be forgiven again and again, and I could not forgive. Betsy had died in that place. Could he erase her terrible, slow death simply for the asking? It could not have been many seconds that he stood there, hand held out, but to me it seemed hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I had ever had to do. For I had to do it. I knew that. I knew it not only as a commandment of God, but as a daily experience. Since the end of the war, I had had a home in Holland for victims of Nazi brutality. Those who were able to forgive their former enemies were able also to return to the outside world and rebuild their lives, no matter what the physical scars Those who nursed their their bitterness remained invalids. It was as simple and as horrible as that. And yet still I stood there with the coldness clutching my heart. But forgiveness is an act of the will, and the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. Jesus, help me. I can lift my hand. I can do that much. You supply the feeling. And so woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one stretched out to me. And as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder, raced down my arms, sprang into our joint hands, and then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, with all of my heart. For a long moment, we grasped each other's hands, the former guard, and the former prisoner. I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. But even so, I realized it wasn't my love. I had tried and I didn't have the power. It was the power of the Holy Spirit, of God's Holy Spirit, as recorded in Romans 5, verse 5. God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Our identity is not rooted in our jobs. It's not rooted in our accomplishments. It's not rooted in the size of our bank accounts. It isn't rooted in the color of our hair or the car that we drive or the clothes that we wear. It's not rooted in what we do. It is not rooted in what people have done to us and it is not rooted in what they say about us. Our true identity is rooted in our relationship with the God who created us and who loved us enough to send his son to die for us and who said to us, if you choose to follow me, if you choose to trust in me, then I'm going to adopt you as my child. I am adopted by God as his child. I am loved by God. I am forgiven God. I am a follower of Christ. My identity is rooted in who God made me to be and what he's done for me and how I respond to him. And when I internalize the fact, when I appropriate the fact that the creator of the universe loves me enough to give his life for me, to forgive me for all all of the offenses I've committed against him, for all of my sins, for all the wrongs that I've done, both to him and to those around me, for all of the times that I've disobeyed him, for all the times that I've failed to do the things that he's wanted me to do, for all the times that I've hurt the people around me. When I understand and appreciate and internalize the incredible grace of God, that's when I'm going to be able to begin to move past the hurt and the pain. That's when I'm going to be able to find comfort in his love and in his grace for me. That's when I'm going to be able to start to forgive. Those who don't deserve it, when I realize that, that I don't deserve God's forgiveness, that I don't deserve to be called his child, that I don't deserve for him to have died for me, when I realize that, then I can begin to forgive those who don't deserve it either. When I understand the love that God has shown to me and when when it really affects my heart, when it really changes my heart, then that same love can enable me to love those around me who otherwise don't deserve it but neither do I. And that's the kind of God that I have, a God who loves me, not because of who I am, not because of what I've done, but because that's the kind of God he is. And when I understand that and when I appropriate that and when I internalize that, that's when I become more and more and more the person whom he created to be, created me to be, and that's when I'll flourish. Let's pray. Father, you're asking us to do the impossible, to forgive people who absolutely do not deserve it, to move past pain and hurt that we are really incapable of bearing, scars that will never go away, wounds that in some sense uh, we're always going to carry with us because we can't forget them. But that's what you've done for us. That's the kind of love that you showed us. Father, I pray that I, I pray that each of us here would gain a new, perhaps for some of us, first time understanding of that. Perhaps for others of us, it's just a reminder of something that we know, something that we can quote in many Bible verses, but something that we need to be reminded of on a day-by-day basis. You are a God of love and grace. You love us in spite of all that we've done. You love us in spite of our brokenness, pick us up. You fix us up. You comfort us. You put us back on our feet. You love us and you send us out to bring comfort and healing to those around us. I thank you that you're that kind of a God. I thank you that we can have that kind of a a parent-child relationship with you. And I pray that that would be something we would all experience on a day-by-day and moment-by-moment basis. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.